Hello everybody and welcome to December of 1991. In the news this month, the Soviet Union formally dissolves forming the Commonwealth of Independent States. Mikhail Gorbachev formally resigns as the president of the USSR and Boris Yeltsin takes control of the Kremlin. The Dow Jones closes at a record high of 3,168, and the 57th Heisman Trophy Award goes to Desmond Howard of Michigan. The top songs this month, It's So Hard to Say Goodbye to Yesterday by Boys to Men. The top three grosser movies this month are Hook, Father of the Bride, and Fried Green Tomatoes. Welcome back to another episode of Be Kind, Please Rewind, a 90s movie podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Be Kind, Please Rewind, a 90s movie podcast. I'm your host, Kevin. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm the other guy, Eric. Eric, <laughs> you, you now have host status. I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready. <laughs> <laughs> next next season. You're next in season. your sixth episode. I think it's okay to call you a host now. Is it the sixth already? You started in with June, right? No, it was July. It was July. It was, yeah, July. All right. Well, so, at any rate, it's close enough. Well, it's still the sixth still month. Excited to be here because July was seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth. I'm counting on my fingers. That's six months. It's December. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. The only thing that matters in this entire year is the movie that we have coming up <laughs> that we've been waiting for since we started this podcast, which is Hook. If you're one so, of our yes. seven listeners, you know. <laughs> you've, you've heard us talk about it it's gonna be a fast forward straight to hook so why don't do we have anything other to note in this month other than hook because like well we have 17 titles to discuss so and none of all of them pale in comparison to hook so oh absolutely well, almost everything this year pales in comparison to hook but I, I would argue most things pale in comparison to hook but that's only because i have a little bit of a bias towards this movie i guess I mean, I would have to say, what's better, Terminator 2 or Hook? Hook. Hook. Wait, it's Hook, Facts. but Terminator 2 is like one of the biggest movies of like no, they, ever. The Listen, critics got it wrong. It's they, de they definitely they did, got they it wrong. Indeed. I, I'm telling you, my level of excitement is an 11. All right. So let's get right into it. Chris, kick it off with uh, right, numbers. Diving in. 17. 17. Sorry. I, I know numbers. Sorry. I, I know them. Sorry. <laughs> Coming in at number 17. Rhapsody in August, earning $516,000. An elderly woman living in Nagasaki, Japan, takes care of her four grandchildren for the summer. They learn about the atomic bomb that fell in 1945 and how it killed their grandfather. So, that's that. <laughs> <laughs> Next movie? Uh, no, just so you, so you know, Richard Gere is in this movie. Uh, so then it's the worst movie ever made. It has to be bad, though, because just name power alone, you think Richard Gere being in a movie would garner more than $516,000. Uh, I, I want to know if Richard Gere plays an Asian in this movie. That's what I want to know. It's not The Last Samurai starring Tom Hanks. Oh, Tom Cruise. <laughs> Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> We're off to a great that start, everybody. That would be a completely different movie. Well, at least I caught myself. <laughs> Eric, you're, Chris, are you done? All right. I'm done. There's, done? No, there's nothing here. All right, at number 16, Until the End of the World, an action drama sci-fi bringing in $750,000. Well, 
While trying to find a cure for his wife's blindness, Dr. Farber has created a device that allows the user to send images directly into the brain, enabling the blind to see. The creation and operation of such a machine is a stark contrast to a deteriorating global situation where the continued existence of mankind is under threat from a nuclear-powered satellite that is falling to Earth. That was a mouthful. There's a I like lot that. going on in this yeah, movie. But I, I, I listened intently, and I really liked it. But it sounded like you like, could do a lot with that. Yeah, but it sounded like two movies. The review of this movie was very conflicted. People said the movie was good, but it was all over the place. It was two separate yeah. plots happening yeah. at the same time, Chris, and you're it right. threw the whole movie off. So you hit it. You hit the nail on the head. Those were all the reviews of this movie. Okay, coming in at number fifteen, talking dirty after dark. Uh, gross nine hundred seventy-eight thousand dollars at the uh at the site of the title. I thought I was gonna hate reviewing this or 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 figuring out what this but, movie was about. But it's also actually, based on the title, is there a different time to talk dirty? <laughs> I would argue you can talk dirty all day long, baby. <laughs> After oh. dark is the only time to talk dirty. That that is the number one time voted <laughs> amongst Americans to talk dirty. All right, not, so this is Prude's opinion. So I'll read you the, the, the description, but the laughs and overlapping love lives of a handful of raunchy stand-up comics at a late-night L.A. comedy club, Dukes, is an L.A. hotspot featuring a lineup of both novice and notorious comedians who get big laughs with dirty jokes. So it, Martin Lawrence, is um, before his film career, was a stand-up comedian. Stars Martin Lawrence, John Witherspoon, who's the father in Friday, Tiny Lister, who's Debo on Friday, and it's written and directed by Topper Carew. Uh, he did this and uh, the Martin TV show, Wait, and that's it. So is this, this is like just stand-up comics? It's no, not, no, 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 oh, no. It's a movie where they do stand-up comedy in the movie. It's not like a, a, a special, like a Comedy Central special or whatever. Well, I was kind of intrigued when I thought for a second it was like, like a behind-the-scenes with their comedy. That's what I thought was going on here. But <clears throat> I'm still intrigued because Martin Lawrence is fantastic. Um, everything he's done I love except for the newest uh, Bad Boys movie. That was terrible. <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard. I haven't watched it, and I probably won't. But um, yeah, from what I understand, Martin Lawrence was a really prolific stand-up comedian, and uh, this I I thought the same thing, Chris. So I in, I watched the trailer on purpose to try and figure out what this was, and it's not what what we both thought it was. It's not just stand-up comedy and like behind-the-scenes sort of thing. Right. It's a movie based around stand-up comedy. Still intrigued. Coming in at number 14, at play in the fields of the Lord, earning $1.3 million. Martin and Hazel Courier are small-town fundamentalist missionaries sent to the jungles of South America to convert the Indians. Their remote mission was previously run by the Catholics before the natives murdered them all. <laughs> they are sent to the pompous <laughs> Leslie Huben, who runs the missionary effort in an area, but who seems more concerned about competing with his Catholic rivals than the Indians themselves. Hazel is terrified of the Indians while Martin is fascinated. Soon, American pilot Lewis Moon joins the Indian tribe, but is attracted by Leslie's young wife, Andy. Can the interaction of these characters and cultures and advancing bulldozers of civilization avoid disaster? I argue not. Are you still doing Rotten Tomatoes descriptions? No. Where'd this come from? IMDb. 
but like no. it's not the short one that's at the top of because IMDb. Because the, the short one said missionaries go to South, go to South America. That's all that I want. I, and then I still want to <laughs> no. be out. Either way, I want to be out of this movie. Well, there's some people in this movie. I also uh, I also like the fact that the idiot Catholics are like, we're gonna convert these natives, and then they go there and get murdered. And then, but then the, I almost spit my coffee out when he said that. That should have been as funny as it was. <laughs> but then the missionaries are like, you know what? We're gonna try too. <laughs> but all right, so this is directed by a nobody, but starring Tom Berenger, John Lithgow, Daryl Hannah, and Kathy Bates. Like, I think Bates was. I was everywhere. gonna. I was gonna say B cast until you got to the latter two. So, like the fourth movie Kathy Bates did this year. Eric. Okay, coming in number thirteen, Life is Sweet, a comedy drama bringing in one point five million dollars. A shop assistant, her cook husband, and their twin daughters ponder their lives over a few weeks in the working class suburbs of Northern London. There was nothing worth note of this movie. Moving on. <laughs> Seems like that's a theme right now with these movies. Yeah. Coming in at number 12, High Heels, grossing $1.5 million. A singer returns after 15 years abroad to perform in Madrid and finds her 27-year-old daughter married to one of her mom's ex-lovers. Weird. Nominated for Golden Globe's Best Foreign Film. Stars a lot of Hispanic actors that we don't know. It has a small role by Javier Bardem, and it's written and directed by Pedro Almodovar, A-L-M-O-D-O-V-A-R, who's, uh, I suppose, a prolific Hispanic director, but all the movies are in Spanish, so I don't really know. Coming in at number 11, Naked Lunch, earning $2.5 million. Naked Lunch is an odd title for a movie. (laughs) After developing an addiction to the substance he uses to kill bugs. <laughs> I'm in already. I'm on board. Let's go. I couldn't get past it. <laughs> An exterminator accidentally kills his wife. <laughs> None of this should be funny. Keep going. <laughs> And becomes involved in a secret government plot being orchestrated. <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> <there's more. laughs> We've lost Chris. And becomes <laughs> involved in a secret government plot being <laughs> orchestrated by giant bugs. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, the plot twist. <laughs> oh my god. Wait, can Is we leave comedy? it at that? Do we need any more? Well, I just want to share that this movie is directed by David Cronenberg, who played gynecologist in The Fly. <laughs> okay. It's all coming it's, together. It's also starring Peter Weller. He's Robocop and Bakura Banzai. Oh my god. Robocop acceptable. Buckaroo Bonsai is a puke fest. Hold on. We also have Ian Holm, who is Bilbo Baggins in The Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Uh, and one of your favorites, Roy, Sh- Roy Scheider. Wow. Really? Yeah. <laughs> in this disaster? Yeah. Wait, wait, is this a comedy, Chris? No, this is a drama. 
<laughs> that makes it that makes it a hundred times better. <laughs> All right, Eric. Good coming song. in at number right. ten. I can't top that one. All right. Uh coming in number ten, Rush. Uh bringing in seven point two million dollars. Two small town Texas cops go undercover to catch a major drug dealer and are sucked into the drug culture, compromising their assignment. The director, Lily Fini Zanuk. But the producer of Driving Miss Daisy, Cocoon, and True Crime, so she has some credits. The cast, Jason Patrick, plays Rainer. He's the older brother, Michael, in The Lost Boys, which is one of my personal favorite movies. That's a good movie. Sam, Sam Elliott plays Dodd. He's uh, Wade in Roadhouse. And Virgil Earp from Tombstone. Love Gotta Sam love some Sam Elliott. Everyone Elliot, loves really. Sam Elliott, yeah. Gotta. Um, and a really cool note about this movie that I did some research on, the music uh, debuted Eric Clapton's Tears in Heaven. Eric Clapton did not want to release this movie ever. It was uh, the song ever. It was kind of like a personal song. Right. And the director talked them into releasing this song for this movie because it might help others mourning and grief. And um, that's how Tears in Heaven came out. So that's I, pretty cool. Wow. I distinctly remember that song from my childhood. Oh, it's a, yeah, it's a heart-wrenching song. All right. Coming in at number nine. Coming in at number nine. Grand Canyon. Grossing... $32.3 million. That's a pretty That's a big jump. Huge yeah, jump. Now we're getting into some numbers. So it's a crime drama. It's uh, the fates of several people are randomly intertwining. Their sympathy of each other faces multiple differences in their lifestyles. That's a pretty vague description of what, what's going on, but it stars Danny Glover, Kevin Klein, Steve Martin, Mary McDonald, who stands with a fist and dances with wolves and also. The First Lady in Independence Day. Mary Louise Pargo, who we get later this month in Fry Greens and Tomatoes. That's, uh, a, that's a decent cast. That's a comedy, clearly. Um, wait, wait, hold on. I'm not done. It's directed by Lawrence Kasdan, who directed The Big Chill, Wyatt okay. Earp with Kevin Costner. And he's a writer on Star Wars and Indiana Jones, both series. So directed by a capable individual and starring a bunch of people. Uh, you know, it's it's probably worth the watch, honestly. Yeah, it's it's you'd call it a B cast, except for it's a comedy and it's mostly comedy, uh, comedic Cri actors. It's so. a crime drama. It's not a comedy. Oh, it's not. No, no. no uh, <laughs> I mean, you'd call it a B cast, but these are all comedic actors, right? I mean, well, Kevin Klein could go either way. Danny Glover is like middle of the road. Steve Martin, obviously a comedic actor. Mary McDonald, who the hell knows what she is. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I mean, it's probably one of those movies that you would watch. It's a lot of people see. that know what they're doing. So, But I'm saying, like, all right, so this type of movie with this type of cast is, is probably a movie that you haven't seen or you don't know of for a reason. So you'd probably watch it, and it would be lukewarm. And you'd be like, yeah, it was a serviceable movie, but I'll never watch it again sort of thing. Right. That's just my guess on what this is. Makes sense. All right. Coming in at number eight. Bugsy earning $49 million. New York gangster Ben Bugsy Siegel takes a brief business trip to Los Angeles. A sharp-dressing womanizer with a foul temper, Siegel doesn't hesitate to kill or maim anyone crossing him. In L.A., the life, the movies, and most of all, strong-willed Virginia Hill detain him while his family wait back home. Then a trip to a rundown gambling joint at a spot in the desert known as Las Vegas gives him his big idea. Uh, starring Warren Beatty as Ben Bugsy Siegel, um, and we, we've talked about Warren Beatty countless times on this podcast. It's 
I don't know about countless, but at least All what, right. twice, two or three times. <laughs> at least twice. No, it was it was at least three times because before this, because you know he comes up, but he only comes up like in his whole IMDb is like fifteen movies total, directing and acting. It's like, and you just, we always say you just feel like Warren Beatty was supposed to be this big deal in Hollywood, and why? Because I don't know besides Dick Tracy anything I that think- I even want to watch. I think he's just before our time. Whatever he did that was important was either behind the scenes or before our time. So it's also starring Annette Benning from American Beauty and the Kids Are All Right. Harvey Keitel is in here. Uh, of course, he's from Reservoir Dogs, Bad Lieutenant, and Pulp Fiction. And Ben Kingsley and Elliot Gould make appearances. Wow, I like that cast. I haven't yeah. seen this movie in forever, and I want to go back and watch it. It was on my list of things to watch, but I just didn't have the time. I just I feel like there's gonna be like a lot of say talking like this. Say no, I feel like I there's gonna be a lot of that. Well, I, I no, have honestly I I, <laughs> I've seen this movie of uh, at least more than once. At least more than once, and I remember zero about it. So who knows? Well, that's that. I I tried to find some interesting facts. I couldn't find anything that anyone really wanted to share. So that's okay. that. Eric, that's that. Number seven, the last Boy Scout, bringing in. $59.5 million in action, comedy, crime. A private detective's protected female witness is murdered, prompting him to the victim's boyfriend to investigate the crime that leads to a corrupt polit- politician and a crooked football team owner. You guys, I think everyone that's probably listening to this podcast has seen this movie and can re- remember at least the opening scene of this movie. This is the movie where the, the football player's running. He's about to get tackled. He pulls out a, a pistol and shoots two kids dead. And then he shoots himself. Yeah, right? he kills himself. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember much, if anything else, about this movie, but you cannot forget the opening scene of this movie. So that's the opening scene. Uh, In my mind, that was the ending scene. I think it's the beginning. I, I think it's okay. the opening Pretty sure. Once again, haven't seen it since the nineties. This this movie has the most obscure, and by obscure, I mean my favorite use of the f word. In oh, I think they used it over a hundred. I, I didn't write it down, but I in the research it was over like a hundred and fifty times the f bomb was dropped in this movie. All right, so yeah, the the, the two times they they use it's in the same scene, where. Uh, First off, this movie's full of quotable lines, but two of my favorites, just off the top of my head, are. You nearly broke my wrist, man. My, that warned us to watch out for this guy. Now, fuck that. Fuck you. Fuck that. Look at him. He's nothing, guys. Piece of shit. And then. <laughs> if you touch me again, I'll kill you. We're going to keep the curse into a minimal in this podcast, but those were necessary. That that was the peak right there. Let's go into a little of the info on this movie. Uh, The director was Tony Scott. He directed True Romance, Crimson Tide, Days of Thunder, Beverly Hills Cop, and Top Gun. Chris, what did we we learn about Tony Scott? We learned that we're morons, not understanding that Tony Scott is Ridley Scott's brother. Uh, The cast... Bruce Willis plays Joe Hallenbach, um, and uh, also Chelsea, uh, Damon Waynes and Chelsea Fields are in this movie. 
Um, and a lot of the research I did just showed that there was a lot of drama in the background in this movie. Everyone hated each other making it. Well, Bruce Willis is probably an intolerable prick at this point in his career. So, yeah. A lot of it actually, I think, revolved around Damon Wayne's actually. No, he was an intolerable prick. Yeah, they hated each other. Bruce Bruce Willis and Damon Wayans absolutely hate each yeah, other during the entire filming of this movie. From what I've heard about Bruce Willis, it's probably Bruce Willis. Like, yeah. it's countless times I've read about people hating working with him. Yeah. Well, that's what happens when you're John McClane. And it, well, he, he also had 30 something before that, but whatever. Anyway, Bruce Willis, I enjoy your work. I wish you weren't such a, such a prick. But he's not to me, so I still love him. <laughs> he's never been a prick to me either. So. I guess, yeah. If we're going that yeah, route, screw yeah, everybody else. That's it's been a right to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, coming in at number six. This movie deserves a little bit of time spent. JFK, grossing seventy million dollars. First off, I want you to understand this runtime is three hours and nine minutes. We're going Godfather, Godfather length type movies. And it's worthy of it. Second, I want you to understand that it won the Oscar for Best Cinematography and Best Film Editing. Also nominated for the Oscar for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor for Tommy Lee Jones, Best Writing, Best Sound, Best Music Slash Original Score by none other than John Williams. Oliver Stone is the director of this movie. He showed this film in December of 91 to all of Congress on Capitol Hill. That led to the 1992 Assassinations Disclosure Act. So this allowed the American public to see the important documents regarding JFK's assassination in the period of 25 years, which was just released during the Trump administration and then some thereafter. This stars Kevin Costner, Gary Oldman, Jack Lemmon, Walter Matthau, Ed Asner, Vincent D. D'Onofrio, we've tried to say that name D'Onofrio. multiple times. D'Onofrio? Yeah, okay. D'Onofrio. Wayne Knight, Michael Rooker, Laurie Metcalf, Joe Pesci, Tommy Lee Jones, John Candy, Kevin Bacon, and Donald Sutherland. There's more Damn. people in this movie. These are the stars that this man has in this movie. That's a Directed- wild assortment of actors, too. When you when you like break it down, like what what's John Candy doing in there? Yeah, like, he, it's fine. Well, he's there, but what's he doing in there? John Candy, honestly, he was a fish out of water in this movie. I think this was. I, I'm a huge John Candy fan. Love almost everything he's ever done, but he this this was like a serious role that he was playing, and he's not that type of actor. Yeah. But it doesn't make the the movie shit or the role shit. It's just you could tell he was a little out of place. Anyway, directed by Oliver Stone. I'm not going to spend the time going into who Oliver Stone is, but he is a U.S. war vet and has a lot of investment in the U.S. government and war history. So he took this movie super seriously. And look, I'm going to leave it short because we got to get the hook. But I want to say, number one, this movie deserves a watch by Everybody, if you've never seen it, you have to watch this movie. Number two, it absolutely shits on the fact that Lee Harvey Oswald, A, had really anything to do with the killing of JFK, and B, could not have possibly, within the realm of reason, killed JFK by himself, if he had anything to do with it at at all. Also, there's a ton of exposition in this movie, I think Oliver Stone is the type of man that gets obsessed with something 
and was obsessed with all of like, you know, what could have happened. Not, I don't want to say conspiracy theories because that's the wrong term, but theories nonetheless outside of conspiracy, like maybe provable theories contrary to what the government has led us to believe that happened to JFK. And like, there's a lot of exposition delivered in the form of acting. That's like basically reading off of these documents. So I've said enough. You have to watch this movie. If you haven't seen it, that's it. Good. Good thing you kept that short. Sorry. (laughs) All right. Coming in at number five, the Prince of Tides earning. $74.7 million. A troubled man talks to his suicidal sister psychiatrist about their family history and falls in love with her in the process. So this is a movie directed by Barbara Streisand and starring Barbara Streisand, which means I won't be watching this movie. No, good night. Yeah. uh, She has four directorial credits, only two, I'm sorry, six directorial credits, only two of which are actual movies. The rest are her own music videos. (laughs) <laughs> uh, uh, it's also starring Nick Nolte and George Carlin. Um, yes, I'm, goodbye, I'm goodbye, uh, goodbye, yeah. goodbye, goodbye. Couldn't care any less. Eric? Sounded thrilling. Um, <clears throat> coming at number four, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, bringing in almost $75 million. Captain James Kirk, William Shatner, and the crew of the USS Enterprise are carrying Klingon Chancellor Gorkok. (laughs) Trekkies are going to kill me on that one. To Earth to negotiate peace treaties with the United Federation of Planets. The ship appears to fire on Klingon vessel, and Gorgon is killed in the subsequent confusion. Kirk and the ship's doctor, Leonard McCoy, are arrested for murder, leaving Spock to figure out who is behind the attack and save the negotiations. I am not a Trekkie, dude. Not at all. Is this, um, the director, this is six? Four this is, six. is like this is six. four is like renowned to be the best one, right? That's with the search for Spock or something like that. Which one? Oh, no, Wrath of Khan. You're talking about Wrath of Khan was four. the best one. Four is uh, Save the Whales. Two, yeah, I think two so. is Wrath of Khan, I think. Four is the with the uh, whales with Spock. Yeah. And, does anyone care? I don't no. know. There are there's no. a large group of people that do care. Coming in number three, earning eighty-one million dollars. Fried green tomatoes. Evelyn tried food. And? I'm sorry, honey. The game's almost over. I just want to see a little bit of it. She tried romance. If I'd answered the door were an only cell thing, would you still be watching the baseball game? No, honey. I'd probably be checking you into a loony bin. Then, hey! she met a new friend. Mrs. Cleo Threadgood, 82-year-old widow. Imagine that. <laughs> a good friend. I hate candy bars all over the house. What a candy bar ain't gonna hurt you none. What? No, but it's 10 or 11. Who gave her some advice. You need some hormones. And told her a story that began long ago. Did the name Itchy Threadgood ring a bell? No, ma'am. I don't think so. You'd remember her. Itchy and her friend Ruth ran the Whistle Stop Cafe. Itchy was a character, all right. If you ever touch her again, I'll kill you. Well, I sure as hell scared him, didn't I? But how anybody could have thought she murdered that man is beyond me. You ain't fooling me, girly girl. You're in a whole mess of trouble. You understand? Did anybody really think she did it? Some said yes, some said no. Academy Award winner, Kathy Bates. Well, I got mad. And it 
winner, Jessica Tandy. How many of them hormones you taking, honey? So this is a movie. It was a movie. We've been waiting to talk to each other about these top three. Well, the top two, two out of three movies. I like this movie. So did I. Oh, me too. I thought you guys were going to hate on it so <laughs> I, bad. I know the two of you were waiting for me to shit on this movie. Yes, I was, I was, I was, I was waiting so hard for you to hate this movie. I was so sad watching this movie. I was too, but I was enthralled. I, I like really, I couldn't wait for, like, I couldn't wait to find out what happened. I was, I felt like I was listening to the story from that old lady. Like I was loving this movie. Uh, totally agree with you. I saw this movie as a, as a young boy. And I remember a couple parts of it. We'll get to it when we get there. But this movie is, I can't watch this movie again. Like this is too much. This, like this, I feel like this is the type of movie that girls love to watch and cry throughout. This is definitely a chick Absolutely flick. Absolutely what it is. And, and it's, I thought it almost reminded me of an early, like, woman empowerment movie. You know, it, was, yeah. it had a lot of that in there, uh, yeah. especially for the early 90s. I felt like this was definitely pushing the, the women's rights whole everything in there. Yeah, but outside of that, I thought it was a well-put-together movie. Like, normally I hate, like, back and forth, like, present to past, present to past. But it had a real green mile feel to it. Yeah, like, that's a good call. I Very like good. Let's go in order quickly. Actors and other roles. So there's a lot of people in this movie. Uh, Kathy Bates plays Evelyn Couch. She's pretty much the main uh, main actor in this movie. Would you call her the main actress? I mean, she is she's, she's kind of like the anchor for the whole thing. Yeah, like she kind of like brings it together. But I wouldn't say she's like the focal point, even though she is. You're in right. This, it's weird. She yeah. kind of is, but she's not. But she there's a lot of other isn't. focal points. Jessica Tandy plays Ninny Threadgood. She's in Driving Miss Daisy, Batteries Not Included, The Birds. She's been acting since 1932. She's passed away now. But um, Chris O'Donnell plays the brother of Mary Stuart Masterson, who plays Iggy Threadgood. Uh, her main other movie is Some Kind of Wonderful. That's a If you guys haven't seen Some Kind of Wonderful 80s movie, that's a must-see. She was uh, also in Benny and June, uh, co-part to... I've never um, seen that. Uh, I've never seen that? either of those uh, movies. Johnny Depp. Yeah, watch, watch oh, Some Kind of Wonderful. It's a good wonderful. quirky movie, if I remember correctly. Uh, well, I'll, well, I guess Benny and June, too. I'll have to watch that. Constance Schulman plays uh, Missy. The reason why I bring her up is because she's Patty Mayonnaise. <laughs> okay. Oh, from Doug? Yes. Yeah. Stan Shaw is Big George. He's uh, the boxer in Harlem Nights. Oh, that's where I've seen his face. Okay. Mary Louise Parker is the... So, all right. So, Mary Stuart Masterson plays Iggy Threadgood, and Mary Louise Parker plays Ruth Jameson, uh, who's also in Weeds and R.I.P.D. Uh, she plays... Yeah, like I said, Ruth Jameson. But those two girls are pretty much the main actors. Yeah, they're of the, the main movie. characters of this movie. Yeah. I, I want this one <laughs> last... Past. I want this one last thing brought up. This woman's name is Fanny Flagg. Right, so Fanny in European culture is a vagina. So this woman's name in Europe is Vagina Flagg. <laughs> she plays the teacher, but she's also the writer of the novel that this 
this whole thing is based on, which is fried green tomatoes or whatever. You know, the plot of this movie, a housewife, Kathy Bates, who's very unhappy uh, in her life and befriends an older woman in a, a nursing home. And, and that's Jessica Tandy playing Nina Thresgood um, and is enthralled by the tale she tells of the people she knew in the past. And, and, you know, the whole point of this movie is every time she keeps going back to this nursing home just to talk to this older woman and through the stories she tells she incorporates that into her own life and starts making her life better at home and her relationship with her husband better at home. And, you know, and everybody, and especially her, she develops through the entire uh, course of the movie. So it's, it, it's like, that's where the empowerment comes from is that she's, she's this lowly housewife who is basically just exists to serve her husband. But these stories about Iggy Threadgood really lift her up, right? And, and cause her to make her changes in, in her life. The director, uh, who I don't know this guy is really, Josh Avnet. He John. directed John, sorry, John Avnet. Directed Righteous Kill with uh, Pacino and De Niro and 50 Cent. That's like the only other movie even worth mentioning that he's ever directed, but he also has 104 producing credits. So he's more of a producer than a director. However, this movie is very well directed. I was never bored. I was dreading watching this before. I put it on and then from basically the first scene of this movie, I'm, I'm drawn into the story. This is, and I guess we could shit on the next movie. This is like the antithesis of uh, father of the bride where there, I have a reason to be invested in this story, right? There's real life stakes. People are dying. People are getting hurt. There's lives being ruined, lives created, like and then Father of the Bride is a piece of shit movie about this guy who has to spend two hundred plus thousand dollars on his daughter's wedding, and that's his plight. Like, buddy, just you know, just fall off the face of the earth. I don't care about that story. I care about this story. Yeah, and you know what's funny is this story. There's no like, here's the story. It's just it's just a per. It's just running through the life of Edgy Threadgood. It's just from childhood. To where her brother her, dies, right? But the the point is, it's it's not like there's one set plot in motion, right? Yeah, they 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 talk about the guy that she was arrested for murdering, but even that, when she was arrested, she was never tried. The the, the judge shut the trial down. You know, it's like this whole. It's just her life is really all it is. It's just yeah, the story it's... of her development from child to adult. Never being spit on. She was strong. She lived in a world. You're talking about back in the day. You know, this yeah, is the 20s, uh, right? Was it the yeah, 20s? Yeah, this Black they said, to... they said after the war, and I had automatically assumed it was after World War II, but then seemingly no, it's, I think it, was it was after, after World, World War, War One. One right? yeah, yeah, the the, the grits was why she calls it the Great War. Okay. Yeah. Because when, yeah, yeah. when people call it the Great War, they're talking about World War One. I. I didn't catch that. You know, and she's standing on her own this whole time and doesn't take crap from anybody. And it, that's the story that gives Kathy Bates the the strength to right. you know start standing up to her husband and start, you know, I got my early opinion of Kathy Bates. I was bored uh, until she started sitting down with the older woman and hearing her stories. Then I started getting enthralled. I when she started talking to this old woman, I thought I was sitting down on a couch with my own grandma, listening <laughs> to stories that she was telling in the past. I I loved listening to it. And then as Kathy Bates' character started developing, getting a little sassy, that's when I got more enthralled into that role and that part of the movie. But all the flashback stuff, I love. Yeah. 
I think that so we need to decipher too. So there's two stories going on simultaneously: Kathy Bates, which is in the present, and the story of uh, Iggy Threadgood and Ruth Jameson, which is in the past. But I, I, I honestly, you know, if if you ask my opinion, which here we are, I didn't really care all that much about the Kathy Bates saga. Right. I cared much more about you know the the um, reminiscing. Yeah, but exactly. I don't. I don't think the Kathy Bates story was the part that was supposed to excite you. It was just supposed to show you the impact that the story had, and and the the stakes, how great they were, because there were actual stakes in the past. And for Kathy Bates, it wasn't about real stakes. It was just about her finding herself. I guess that is a real stake. Uh, you know, finding. It was important to her character, right. but it's not important to like any big idea ideology. But but Iggy's like you said, she's in this world where. Women aren't taken seriously, and she's hell bent on shit. yeah, just doing what she wants, how she wants to, and nobody's gonna stand in her way. And she was, she was the most. I mean, the other girl was competent too, Ruth Jameson, Mary Louise Parker. She was competent and capable too, but not not in comparison to Iggy. And I would say though too, like. This movie could have worked as just being in the past because I really feel like Iggy's character had the same effect on Ruth that Iggy's character had on Kathy Bates's character. That's that's a definitely a, a good point, a valid point, and well thought out. But I I don't know. I thought it worked fine the way it was. No, like, I, I'm not saying it didn't work. I'm saying it could have worked the other way. I like this a little bit better because it, it's I think it's more profound that Iggy had this effect on someone that. Didn't, didn't even know, know her. her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and that led that, to the twist. And let's, which was what? Well, the twist at the end, which I think everyone kind of figured out while they were watching the movie, but the old woman, the barbecue, in the, no, the old woman, the old in, woman. The, in the home telling the story is actually Iggy. You know, Iggy. you're not yeah. Iggy. Iggy, yeah. And you're not supposed to really know that till the end, you know. And they just kind of wink at it. They don't really actually say See, it. See, I, I didn't get liked. that, though. I didn't know that she was. And also, she has a different name because she's Ninny Threadgood. And yeah, but Ninny's Iggy. like a name you call a grandma. That's my Ninny. I think that's where that comes from. I think yeah, it was kind of just like a nickname. All right. I, all right. I wasn't was... sure. I wasn't sure. So if you guys both but say that it is, then I'm on board. They never actually say that the old lady yeah, is they actually winked Iggy. at it. They winked yeah. at it. Right. And, and she lit I the candle like at her like friend's that. she lit the candle at her friend's gravesite and she's like, Oh yeah, she's still around. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I that I saw, but I was like, What is that? I don't really but I mean it, it was her. They I think it was pretty obvious it was her. Iggy's tragedies where her so she doesn't have really have a friend in the world when she's a young girl, ten ish, twelve ish, however old she was, and her she, brother, played by Chris O'Donnell, dies in like the first fifteen and, minutes of the well, movie. I think you have to talk a little more about this because the he's her only connection to everybody else because right. her mother doesn't understand her. Her other brother doesn't understand her. The only person in this world that understands her is Buddy. And then so Buddy's Chris O'Donnell. He also is like from what they portray in the movie, an uber charismatic person that everybody yeah. loves. And but he's also the him and Iggy are like best friends in the world. Yeah. So he dies tragically at a very young age. And uh, but also, it's also important. By, you're right. I'm sorry. Well, I was saying he gets off. run over by a train when I kind of felt like I'm nitpicking here, but I felt like he could have sacrificed his leg to save his life at that point. I was like, 
just let the train take your leg and you could have your life. But I guess, you know, it's the 20s where oh. if you lose if you lose a leg, you're losing your life. So I mean, his namesake does learn that lesson, though, and just loses his arm later on. <laughs> <laughs> Smart kid. Yeah, which is another tragedy that happens to really happens to her friend, Ruth Jameson, but also happens to her where Ruth Jameson's son loses an arm in a train accident. Right. So I, I think it's I think it's important to point out that Ruth was the girl that Buddy was courting and her and Iggy kind of are when Iggy goes off with Buddy and with Ruth, because they're going on like a little walk away from whatever. I think they were at a, a wedding or something and they, they're going to explore. Yeah, the sister, the oldest sister's wedding. Right. So as they're exploring, that's when Buddy gets hit by the train and killed. And it kind of creates this bond between Ruth and Iggy because they both lost the person that they loved most. Yes. And watched it happen. Right. And then Iggy in the future saves uh, Ruth from uh, an abusive husband. She brings the, the, uh, the guy Big George and another guy over to get her out of that house after she's been uh, battered by the husband. The husband comes back later tries to take the child that she had uh, that they had but uh, she had already left when the baby was born and then the 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 big thing that from the start of the movie you're wondering what's happened to, to the end of the movie is that uh, Ruth's husband has disappeared and they find his car in the bottom of a lake so you're wondering throughout the whole movie like what happened to the guy turns out that they actually barbecued him and Incredible. served him to the investigating uh i guess um the officer looking for but uh for for her husband from the town he was living in yeah and uh just to be clear the person so iggy gets blamed for the murder but it turns out that it was actually big big george right that's his name no was, not no no no, no. Well, that's his name right big george is his name yes. that's what i'm asking you it was big Sorry. george's mother uh sissy sipsy yes. sipsy sipsy yeah but they and she but... was just protecting the baby that she was watching while Iggy and Ruth read a uh, a show. Iggy's like the the most good hearted, like good natured person I've maybe ever seen on screen. Or you know you can compare her to any other person of the like. But like she loves everybody and like has true compassion for like true compassion for a drunk. And then you know I, I don't know how to phrase this any delicate way, but we're in the twenties. The black people aren't looked at as citizens Se but Iggy looks at looks at all the black people like like they should be right like just like their other people has love and compassion for them more than anybody else so. this is a time of brutal segre speaking segregation time, chris no not at all and and you know it, it turns out like and you you look at this intermingling of people because you know it turns out that the guy who's always after Iggy is the is the sheriff of the town and it turns out i mean they again they don't actually tell you but they wink at the fact that he's a clans member yes and um at the same time you know Iggy doesn't push him away but tries to enlighten him rather than shun him and she creates this this like connection between the 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 sheriff and and the black people in the town because when george when the other clan comes in and tries to, you know, upset yeah. the, their whole world and they start beating George, he sticks up for George and gets them to release him. So, yes. you know, it, it, it really shows that, that Iggy's there as a, as a person Moral to compass. Right. Exactly. Yeah. All right. 
I, we could talk about this movie much longer and it deserves such, but we have to get the hook. So let's hit our, our topics. Chris, start it off with your best scene. All right. So my best scene for me is uh, when Iggy goes to get Ruth. We kind of talked about it already. And the husband hits Ruth and Iggy's wrestling the husband. He slams her to the ground. Uh, he picks Ruth up and he's running up the stairs. And then Big George and the other guy come running in. And, and you know, George pulls a knife and he's kind of just twirling the blade in his fingers and and the and the, the husband finally gives in and then he kicks the wife down the stairs and while she's I, pregnant while she's yeah. pregnant and i just think that as like horrible as that was to watch i thought it was really good writing in that i think that's how that would have gone down yeah directing writing acting that was seen was yeah. in a, the the whole movie but yeah i appreciate the scene very much yeah. Eric, it brings the boyfriend to a whole nother level of dirtbag. You're like, yes, oh, he's piece of that shit. bad. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, my best scene, loved it. The um, the trial scene where Iggy's on trial for the murder, and uh, they call the witness of the of her town's preacher, and she's like, oh crap, I'm done here. And the preacher comes out and uh, actually testifies on her behalf that she was with them uh, in the play, and. Um, he actually gives one of the best lines. I liked it there. Uh, you know, I can't believe he 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 swore on the Bible. And Iggy says, well, if you looked a little closer, uh, that was Ruth. a copy of Moby Dick. <laughs> Ruth said that, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was a really good scene because that was a good twist. You didn't know what was going to happen. And all of a sudden, right. Preacher was being cool as hell and, and got her out of it. I liked it, but I didn't appreciate the fact that they had that conversation right there in the courtroom, 10 feet from the judge. <laughs> well, after the fact, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's a... F- Fair point, but yeah, I guess just time constraint. I guess I don't know. Just, just making a joke. That's um, I didn't really have a best scene because I really liked this movie from start to finish. Like I couldn't think of one thing that really stood out to me. All of the acting wasn't was amazing. Nobody did a bad job, and I don't know. I liked the whole movie, so here I am. Gloating over fried green tomatoes. I on thought this we podcast. were going to be arguing over this movie. I, yeah. I'm thrilled. How about I do one have, other scene? Go ahead. I'm sorry. How about the scene when everything is coming together of what happened to um, the guy who died, and uh, all of a sudden it starts serving. You know, the guy starts serving this the stew, and you see the the, the Georgian cop going, "Man, it's the best barbecue." And oh, there was a the line. <laughs> I forgot what it was. It was like, "It's all in the yeah, it, the secrets in the sauce." The secrets, the secrets in the, in the sauce. sauce. Yeah. That was great, man. When I saw that cop eating him, I'm like, yes. All right, so I have a worse scene, though. I'll lead it off with my worst scene was the the look at your vagina scene in the in the the current in the times. Present. And uh, the only reason why this is my worst scene is because I saw this movie at like 11 or 12 years old, and that scarred me. And I still remember that to this day. So <clears throat> before I put this movie on, or as I was putting this movie on, I was talking to Elena, and I was like, I was like, isn't this the movie where they look at their vaginas in the mirror or whatever? She's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm like, I'm right. pretty, I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's this movie. And then the scene came around and I was like, see, look. Yeah, but that's and, also and it's Kathy but, Bates. Right. But the whole point of that scene is is satire, right? It's supposed to be that. Like, so so I yes. understand what you're saying. You only hate it because when you were a child, yes. seeing it. But like yes. the, the scene made sense. I yes. Uh, I just uh, from from childhood, that scene still bothers me. I think to me, the worst scene, and it's not because I think it was a bad scene. I think they just missed the mark on it. Uh, when they're throwing the uh, the food from the train 
right? They, they, they hop on the train. It's their first adventure, uh, Iggy and Ruth. I think they had a real opportunity there to show Iggy's true character, like about the what she's doing with the food because they kind of just made it she was just chucking the food and then happened to come across this the homeless people and just then started giving them the food where I think you really should have made it this is why she was here. It, it didn't That's how I read off. this. I'm, is I, it? I'm Did, sorry, I, I just it? disagree with you that I read the scene as exactly what you thought it should be. Okay, yeah, so I, I read misread it that the way scene. Too. Like, okay. she, she knew what she was doing. All right, so I misread the scene. So I take it back then. I guess then, then I don't have a worse scene because there wasn't anything in this. I was really nitpicking, like looking for something I didn't like. So yeah. I, think, I guess that shows in my misunderstanding of the scene there. So I, yeah. Eric. Same with me. I was looking. Um, my worst scene is actually when um, Buddy Thresgood, you know, Chris O'Donnell dies. He was chasing her hat, and it was just slowly blowing away. And he <laughs> you knew it was coming. Try to pick, you knew it was coming, and it was but, like, just pick up the damn hat. It took him like or, 20 minutes to pick up a hat that should have taken like five seconds, and then his foot gets stuck. You know, like, ah, oh, here we go. Here comes a train. It wasn't a bad scene. It was just him chasing the hat. Was, I was like, it was the hat on. was the bad part. It was right. the hat. The hat was the worst actor in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Even if he's just chasing the hat, that's fine. But like, let it be. He gets to the hat like a normal person, and then he's stuck in the track. Like, uh, that's it. <laughs> right. Uh, that's it. Well, then I, I, hold on. I had another scene I wanted to talk about because I love the scene when uh, Kathy Bates' character finally has her like first like real like moment, and she starts just smashing that other girl's car with her car and just goes bananas. And that I leads love to my best, That leads to my best quote, but we'll get there. To Wanda. <laughs> All right, best role, Eric. Best role. Um, I had the old lady, Nini Thresgood. Um, just because whenever she was speaking, I was enthralled. I felt like I was a little kid sitting on the couch listening to grandma tell stories, and I wanted to hear everything she had to say. And I, I think that's why I loved hearing her talk. I just felt like a kid listening to his own grandma. All right. I like that, Chris. You know, I, I thought this was actually tough because, well, I don't think anybody did. I don't think anybody did like an outstanding job in this movie. I thought everyone was good. You know, I I think to collectively it made a really enjoyable movie, but I didn't think anybody was standout amazing in this movie. Um, so I kind of just went the funny route and just said that my favorite character was Ed, the husband, just because he was so <laughs> gloriously clueless. And like, he really, every time he spoke, I was just like, what a buffoon. And it made me laugh. So that's why I went with Ed. All right, so I'll do my best and my worst in light of that. So my worst is Ed, just because he was the least impactful character. He had but zero impact in me. But, but he was also fine. Like, I didn't mind his portrayal of the role. I didn't mind the role itself. It's only because I have to pick something and I didn't pick a best scene. My best role is Mary Stuart Masterson playing Iggy because I feel like this girl somehow, some way, if you watch the movie that I told you to watch, uh, Some Kind of Wonderful, and this, and, and I've never seen Benny and June, so I can't speak to it, but this girl deserved a much better career than she had. Not only is she she attractive, in my opinion, and she's a very, very pretty face, she did a great job in this role, and I don't think that you could have this movie without her. I mean, you know, could you bring in another A-lister and... and, and, and 
make this movie maybe but like she made this movie for me her the way she portrayed this character she was my favorite so that's uh, and i agree with you after her first scene on camera her first scene in the movie i wasn't buying her as iggy and then i thought after that first scene like she really like fell into the into the role and she was believable from that point forward so i don't know how they filmed this movie but maybe that first scene was the first scene she filmed and she was just getting used to the character i don't know but in my opinion i didn't buy her as iggy until you know her second third fourth scene of the movie and because that i actually made her because again i don't think there was such a bad role but i chose her as my worst just because of that one scene and i think that's probably unfair but that's what i'm going with all right, Eric, we're entitled. My worst. Um, it goes back to the, the, the scene with the hat. Uh, my like, because I had no other point choices. Chris I, I, I picked Stick Chris O'Donnell because the buddy, oh, like, get the damn. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like you guys said, I mean, this movie, there was any bad parts, you're nitpicking. It, you're a lot of, it's, it's all nitpicking. All right. So, most quotable line is the scene that Chris alluded to before where she's, uh, Kathy Bates smashing the car and, to the she's just like fed up with everything around her by that point so uh, she's waiting for a parking spot two younger girls swoop in while she's sitting there clearly waiting for the parking spot she confronts them she's like hey i was sitting here waiting for this parking spot and the, the young girls are like let's face it we're younger and we're faster so she gets back in her car and starts smashing into the young girl's car and they come back and they're like what are you doing she's like face it girls i'm older and i have more insurance by far <laughs> Best line of the movie, that was in my good. opinion. That was good. Uh, I went with <laughs> after Ruth gives birth and Iggy just loves to piss off the, the pastor. So she just yells, God damn it to hell, son of a bitch. She did it. Here's to Ruth. <laughs> yeah, the pastor's trying to give like a, <laughs> yeah, like a religious it. toast or whatever. And she's cursing up a storm and yeah, using God's name in vain. <laughs> just to piss him off. Yeah. Eric? Well, I already said mine. Mine was in the courthouse um, about you know, swearing on the Bible. And Ruth says, well, if you look a little closer, uh, that was a copy of Moby Dick. Yeah. And, and the other line, secrets in the sauce. So yeah. I already said my two fave. A couple of things I want to add and then uh, anybody else want to add in uh, the song, What Becomes of the Brokenhearted. I thought that was a 90s song. I swore to God as a kid that was a 90s song. It was actually recorded in 1966, the original. That was in the movie a couple of times if you guys didn't catch it. Uh, Mary Stuart Masterson did the B stunts herself because her uh, stunt double quit like a week before shooting started. And then there was in the book, there was a lesbian uh, love between Iggy and Ruth. But it came across in the movie as an undertone that you could really see. Yeah, you could feel, feel the undertone. Yeah, they alluded yeah. to yeah. it. Yeah, they alluded to it. But the direction in the 90s, I guess they were like, oh, this won't play no, well I've or whatever. I think they, 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 that was purposeful, right? Like it's supposed to be, it's still. Well, it was blatant in the book and in the, in the movie, it was like in Again, they like winked lightly it, yeah. insinuated. So no. if I'm not mistaken, I think there was actually a director's cut and there was scenes actually filmed with a little bit of um, their love, but I, they cut it out. You could tell that they had more than a friendship in the yeah. movie. So. All right. My note that I had was, um, you know, Chris, I think you said, what if somebody else was Iggy? Uh, the other person that applied for that role and they turned down was Uma Thurman. And thank uh, God, because yeah, I don't want... I, no. Uma, Thurman Uma, has, Thurman thing, but... 
Uma Thurman has one role she deserves in this whole world, and it's Kill, Kill Bill, Bill. And that's it. Yeah, hundred so. <laughs> percent. All right. Uh, would you recommend this movie? I would recommend yeah. watching this movie. I would too, and I would watch it again. This isn't a movie that I like just for one watch. I, I would watch it again. I would have Absolutely. to watch it. I would have to watch it with Elena, and then maybe hide the fact that I'm crying while I'm watching this movie. <laughs> <laughs> this is a true uh, testament to why we do this podcast. You come. I would have never watched this movie in a million years if I didn't have to, and I'm really glad we did. Yes, me too. Same. Coming in at number two, Father of the Bride, bringing in $89 million. I'm sorry, what did you say? I'm engaged, I'm getting married. <laughs> right then, I realized my day had passed. Annie, it's a little nippy out. You might want to put on oh, a sweater. Dad, it's okay, I'm kind of warm. So there's a chill in the air, and you've been on a plane. Dad, I'm fine. Annie, it is kind of cold out. It is? Yeah. All right, thanks, I'll get my jacket. I was no longer the man in my little girl's life. Old dad was history. If I remember seeing someone who looked like Brian's twin on America's Most Wanted. First, the wedding of our children. Wedding coordinator? What's a wedding coordinator? We're gonna color coordinate with the swans, right? Swans? I have a great idea where we can have this wedding. Where? The steak pit. I don't think you want the word pit. Wedding invitation. I hope George didn't get lost up there. He's gonna be fine. Finally, the big day arrived. The day I'd been dreading for the past six months. Well, actually, for the past 22 years. Before I knew it, I had to let her go. I'll just uh, go ahead. Touchstone Pictures presents Steve Martin, Diane Keaton. Martin Short, and introducing Kimberly Williams. I'm told that one day I'll look back on all of this with great affection and nostalgia. I hope so. Good night, Mr. Banks. Drive carefully. And don't forget to fasten your condom. Dad! Seatbelt, I meant. Seatbelt. Father of the Bride. Oh yeah, this movie. This is not a movie. There's no reason just, to make this movie. No, not at all. And the fact that it got a second movie. I wanted to fast forward through the first ten minutes. If you had to compare like a cliche or whatever, you would say this is watching grass grow or watching paint dry. Like this is, there's no plight here. I I don't think it's that bad, and I just don't think it's it's not good. It's far from good. I don't think it's as bad as watching grass grow, but. I just mean like the movie. There were two laughs in the whole movie. This is a comedy, right? I don't even care about the laughs. I care about the reason for me to be invested in the characters, and there was none. Like I said before, this guy's plight, Steve Martin's plight, is that he has to spend two hundred and what's the number? Fifteen or fifty? I couldn't hear what he said. Two hundred and fifty. So he's got to spend a quarter of a million dollars in nineteen ninety. No, no. no two hundred fifty dollars a person. Yeah, but no, it was a quarter million dollars. It was like five hundred people. Yeah, yeah. Was it was. I didn't guests. do the math. It was in. Like, I did. It was in. The insane. number they give is two fifty a person. That's it. Well, anyway, it was a lot of money. It was hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> this guy was spending on his daughter's wedding, and that was his problem. Like then you don't have a problem. Can I tell you where this movie lost me? So when we first go into Steve Martin's house, he's got a big ass living room, big ass house, and I'm sitting there going, "Man, his house is huge. I could probably fit my whole house inside his living room." 
And not one scene later, he walks into the rich in-laws' houses and he says, wow, this house is huge. I can fit my house in the living room. And I'm like, well, fuck you. Because like, <laughs> like here I am envying you and now you're envying this guy. Well, fuck you. Sorry. I know what else was occurs, but it really got me mad that he's complaining about not having, not being a one percenter. He's only in the top 5%. <laughs> I'll tell you when this movie lost me, it was the opening monologue where he's just sitting on that chair talking like we're supposed to care. And he just kept going. Like, listen, you want to give me an open monologue? Give me a minute. Give me two. I don't even know how long that monologue went on for. It felt like forever. And I'm thinking to myself, should I fast forward through this? I'm like, no, I can't. I have to do a podcast on this stupid movie. I didn't like I didn't like the opening monologue, but it didn't it didn't deter me. Because I need the exposition for me to understand why I'm supposed to care. But even then, I still didn't care. Like, you know, and then so I have kids. So this is this movie. The whole point of this movie is to tug at your heartstrings, especially if you have a daughter, I suppose. But I was going to say for a, for a moment, I was like when they did like the flashback of him seeing his like envisioning his daughter growing up. Yeah. I like kind of had this thought, oh, one day my daughter is going to move out and marry someone and that'll be the end of you know living at home and i was like oh that got me sad for a second but then i was like but this isn't my daughter so i don't really care <laughs> but so that <laughs> it was just over the top over the everything every single thing was over the top he's also like an unreasonably overbearing parent so like and unreasonably angry yeah which also <laughs> reminded me of myself like the fact that he was angry at everything i have a note somewhere we'll get to it <laughs> okay i like that but yeah he was like like his reaction to everything was irrational anger and i was like oh it's what i would do <laughs> related to that part of the movie oh that's what it was the scene the scene when he was for some reason just decides to go to the store and buy hot dogs that and hamburgers that that was scene. Like, and he's so mad that the, the, the buns the best come scene in, in a different movie. it is the best scene of the whole movie the, the buns come in a different number than the hot dogs yeah the quantity so mad and i'm like i feel like i'm at the supermarket with kevin right now <laughs> he's he's ripping open the packages and pulling the 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 uneven number of buns out of the package and he's like i'm only buying this number of buns i was like i feel you bro i feel your anger <laughs> hot dogs came in six packs and the buns came in eight packs. He goes, I don't want to pay for the extra buns. Yeah, I don't either. But he actually bought 12 hot dogs and bought three bags and ripped them out. If he had bought the two bags of buns, it would have been an even yeah, number. Yeah, you can figure out anything. the math and make it even. I did the math. It I, pissed me off. I, didn't, I, I don't care. I felt his anger. All right. So actors in other roles. Steve Martin plays the father, George Banks. Diane Keaton plays the mother, Nina Banks. Kieran Culkin, I like not a Macaulay, but a Kieran Culkin. I'm on board with that. Plays the son, Maddie. Kimberly Williams Paisley plays the daughter, Annie, which is more or less, aside from Steve Martin, the main character. B.D. Wong, Jurassic Park alumni, plays Howard Weinstein. Martin Short plays Frank Egelhofer, who has like a really weird, uh, unplaceable (laughs) accent, I guess, on purpose. And George Newbern plays the fiance Brian McKenzie. Uh, the plot of the movie is the the fact that what we've kind of gone over is that Steve Martin is seeing his daughter grow up and she has a wedding that he has to plan and pay for and come to terms with the fact that his daughter is no longer a baby. The director, 
I guess we could do that too because it's Charles yeah. Shire and he's done nothing. So, except for this and Father of the Bread too. Yeah, which <laughs> I guess is it, the equivalent of almost nothing. That's too much nothing. We kind of skimmed over. Can we talk about Martin Short's character here? Can I tell you? Okay, I, I how go ahead. They don't he want made to talk about Martin. Short. So angry. Like I like Martin Short in a lot of things. Like, but he's he's good in small doses. And Very there was small doses. And the Frank is even doable, like is only doable in even smaller doses than I can normally deal with Martin Short. And it was just like, there was way too much Frank. Can I tell you that the only time I was entertained was when Martin Short and BD Wong were on, on screen. And I don't like Martin Short as an actor. And I thought that everything else was like for lack of a better term lukewarm and the only time anybody was trying to do something in this movie to invoke some sort of emotion whether it be good or bad funny or sad angry mad whatever was martin short and bd wong like i couldn't give a shit less when steve martin was telling me about how he was lamenting the fact that his daughter was growing up at least martin well, short martin was trying was to be funny trying. or weird well, or something it- it's a fair point. It's a fair point because there was no other funny attempt in this movie. You're right. And, you and know what? I'm actually, attempt. we've been talking about this movie for what? Like 10 minutes? And, and there's I'm nothing left to it. talk I'm, about. I'm done. Yeah. I'm right. done. I'm Let's hit it. our categories then, okay? Best Do scene, yeah. Eric? Best scene. You already talked about it, the hot dog scene. I mean, Facts. at least it, it hit it hit a little bit of a funny bone. It got you a little anger. Yeah, it it was all right. Chris, there's nothing else. There's nothing else even worth talking. The about. The only other th- scene that I'll bring up is meeting B D Wong and Martin Short. B D Wong because I know him from Jurassic Park, and he played like it was a, the polar opposite from his character in Jurassic and, Park. And Martin and Short like because I, they were trying to be funny. And like I said before, like that the first scene was funny to me. I liked. Martin Short, when he first came on the screen, it was just, that was it. That was the It was nice to meet them, right? Yeah. Right. And that was it. After that, it got annoying. Worst yeah, scene? An obvious attempt at comedy. Yes. Worst scene? When they tried to play basketball. Why did I have to watch them play a whole game of, of one-on-one yeah. to like 21? Like, make three shots and move on. Like, I don't need to see this whole thing. Not to mention, it wasn't, they weren't good. Yeah, I <laughs> they thought they were. Every shot in there, they're pumping their fists like, yeah. Yeah. All right. I, I, anybody else worst scene? Um, my worst scene was actually the the one of the last scenes, the wedding. The the whole time of during the wedding, Steve Martin's trying to see every part of his daughter's wedding, and he keeps getting blocked out. He, keep, he has to park the cars. It was not funny. It was but depressing. There, there was symbolism. The, he, that was symbolism. They, they missed the mark, I, but they but they, they but I know where they were trying to go with it. They were, I know it what was, they were trying to do too. I don't care what they were trying to do. I was annoyed by everything that was going on. And at the end, you think, all right, listen, all right, maybe he's gonna catch her at the last second, at least get a last dance or a kiss. And she just drives away and you're like, what the hell was the point yeah. of all of this? So he missed for, everything. It just annoyed they, it actually pissed from giving me off. her from giving her away to them leaving that he doesn't see her i have to disagree with you because the only time that i felt like they drove the point home of the daughter growing up and you missing out was during the wedding where he kept on you know almost literally reaching out for her and missing her and she was one step ahead of him the whole time i felt like that was clear symbolism that they were saying that, you know, look how fast this goes and you're always trying to play catch up and now she's gone where she was literally gone in the car. So 
I kind of like that scene at the end. It was frustrating, yes, but also I think it was supposed to be frustrating. Just my opinion. Well, well look at I, Kevin, I Kevin going from amateur film reviewer to now I have real big boy opinions. <laughs> Put my big boy <laughs> pants on. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm sorry. Did we have anything else to add? Better not. I'm done with this movie. Best role? Martin Short or B.D. Wong? I had Diane Keaton. That was yeah. the, the mother. She was the only one that had like a grounded opinion the entire movie. She was trying to keep everybody on the level. Yeah, she, she was the only faculty. one that didn't piss me off. Yeah, faculty. Yeah. yeah. Chris. I yeah. Yeah. I said I said the daughter because I had to pick someone and I felt like she was fine. Why isn't anyone the... jumping on the BD Wong bag bandwagon? Because with I, me. Did, I I already told you how I felt about the It was those too two much BD Wong. It was too much. The over-the-top accents were just like they—they they just they were funny for a second, and, and then, then it was, it was too was, much. Okay, it was too yeah. much. Fair. Worst role? I have. See, I have a question mark because it's just like everybody. See, I put Martin Short's Frank because again, too much Frank. Just too much Frank. <laughs> I'm with I'm with you, Chris, because my worst role and also my worst scenes were any scene with Martin Short in them. He just. I just don't. I, I went into this movie knowing oh, I don't think I like this guy, and I ended this movie knowing I do not like Martin Short. Period. No, I don't like Martin Short. Although that Murders Only in the Building show that's on Hulu yes. or something, that show is amazing. I watched that. Best, I heard it's good. Best version of Martin Short you'll ever get in your entire life. I like. I like Inner Space. All right, that's yes. a fair point. I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but that was definitely a favorite of mine. Growing most up. quotable, most quotable lines: Steve Martin. It was the first time I ever hated the sound of my own name. That was in reference to the the fiance saying his full name. Uh, mine was uh, George saying, uh, "Drive carefully and don't forget to fasten your condom." <laughs> As his daughter's walking out the line. door, I nine. hated it, but at least I got a little chuckle out of it and a little cringe out of it. It, it was it was definitely cringe. Definitely, yeah. Cringe. Uh, so my favorite line was uh, after he gets them back together after the whole blender incident, and he's walking down the stairs and they're like making out on the stairs, and he's just like. Oh, so is everything fine now? And he just looks at them and they just continue to make out. He's just like, he just nods and just <laughs> continues to walk down the stairs. So it wasn't the line. It was so just that moment. Because that was like the only laugh I really had in the movie besides the hot dog scene. All right. That's good. All right. The last thing I want to bring up is Eugene Levy auditioning as a wedding singer. I, yeah. I thought he deserved so much more, but I still liked it. I love Eugene Levy. We're moving on. Would you recommend this movie? I say no. 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 Three thumbs down. Eat your heart out, Siskel and Ebert. <laughs> they probably love this movie. Thank God. I'm here. I'm I'm in my glory. We have Hook, mm -hmm. and it's all I want to talk about. I want every episode to be about Hook. This is now the Hook Movie Podcast. You're tuning in to 24 hours a day, seven days a week, fully discussing every aspect of Hook, and that, that's it what we do. It is now 10.30. What are the chances we finish before midnight? Zero. It's, I mean, I'm you got a 50-50 chance. 50-50 chance that we finish in an hour and a half. All right. Buckle up, uh, listeners. Buckle, Buckle up, up Kevin, Buttercup. Kevin, what's coming in at number one? Uh, is it Hook? I don't it know. Might be. I, I feel so. like it might be Hook. All I have written all over my notes, if you guys could see, I have drawings of a Hook. I have Bangarang. I have Rufio <laughs> written everywhere. Rufio, Rufio, Rufio. Rufio. Oh. All right, that's it. Coming in at number one, grossing all the money the world has ever created. <laughs> the entire GDP of every country ever 
invested in watching the movie Hook. Number one, Hook. He's come back to seek his revenge. Only you can save your children. You must make yourself remember. Remember what? Peter, don't you know who you are? Have to fly. Have to fight. Have to crow. Have to save Maggie. Have to save Jack. logistics out of the way first robin williams the greatest actor to ever grace the screen plays peter i learned is banning b as in boy a n n i n g i learned panning no it's banning we all learned the same thing i watched this movie with the subtitles on so i could learn things and i learned that okay dustin i don't know chris wasn't reading the subtitles i guess (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I had the subtitles on. on I have I have the subtitles on when I see when I hear a quote I like and I want to make sure I get it right. That's why I have the subtitles on. Dustin Hoffman plays Captain Hook. Julia Roberts plays Tink. Bob Hoskins plays Smee. All right, since so many people I love in that those four yeah. names. Since we're doing a movie podcast, a 1980 movie called The Long Good Friday. Bob Hoskins plays a phenomenal role in like a um Italian job esque sort of movie. Watch that movie. Okay, uh, back to Hook. Matt I'm just saying. Maggie Smith plays Granny Wendy. Caroline Goodall plays Moira Banning. She's in Cliffhanger and Schindler's List. Charlie Corsmo is the kid Jack. Amber Scott the kid Maggie. And Dante Bosco plays Rufio. Director None other than, finally, thank Steven God, Steven Spielberg. We get the one and only greatest director of all time, Steven Spielberg, with 57 director's credits. I'm going to run down my favorites of Steven Spielberg quickly Jaws, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the entire Indiana Jones series, E.T., Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan, Amistad, Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can. War of the Worlds, Lincoln, and Ready Player One, to name a few. Uh, The plot, I'll give you my version of it. You guys can uh, obviously add to it if you'd like. Peter Pan grows up, uh, but has to find his way back to Neverland to save his children. Anything else you guys want to add to the plot? That's it. That's all you need. That's all you need because it is the greatest twist on an old story that's ever been done like what happens if peter pan did grow up it's amazing it's an amazing concept and it's robin williams and it's robin williams could could anyone else have played this role no 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 No. nobody else could have played this role and nobody else could have directed this movie it's 
This is the the movie to define my childhood. I'm 13, 14 years old when we get to Jurassic Park. And obviously, that's one of my favorite movies of all time. But feeling like a kid watching a kid's movie, I think this is paramount to everything else. Absolutely. And every scene where you're like, well, that's silly. Then you remember, no, that's amazing because that's exactly what I wanted to see when I was eight years old watching this movie. Yeah. I love Peter Pan stories when I was a kid and and I loved, loved this movie. And I always wanted to go to Neverland and never grow up. Who didn't want to be a lost boy? Like, come on. I mean, the world that they created, which I don't care that critics didn't like the movie. I don't care that Spielberg himself didn't really like the movie. The world that they created, the look and feel of Neverland, to a kid, it's it's so enticing. It's everything that you would do if you were a kid and had the ability oh. to create your own world. And they really and they brought it into the nineties too with the so the treehouse had the the half pipes and the basketball hoops and the they made it like an inner city lost boys. <laughs> you know, like it, it was great. Let's start with this then. We'll work backwards. I have a couple of nitpicks watching this movie with a discerning eye that right. I, I want to bring lens up. on. You really started to find things that were like, okay, they could have done this better. They could have done that better. But overall, obviously, we love it. But here we go. So two things that I, I, I don't really understand. I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't really get it. The part when he flashes back to he realizes that he remembers his mother and he's in the stroller yeah. and he's a, he's the I, baby but his his narration says that he ran away bro. ran away but he yeah, was, I have this written down. he was an infant in a stroller you didn't run from anything why so i don't really get what point that you're trying to make is it that you don't remember is it like i don't yeah uh, i've always looked past it and i've actually always had that I, i've always had that viewpoint but i've always just looked past it like that doesn't make sense. You're not running away. And then clearly you're not running away because then the next three seconds later, it's the baby in the middle of the park, the, 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 the park, just laying there, not able to move because it's a baby. <laughs> so you didn't <laughs> run. The wind blew him away. It was more of the of better line. The wind blew me away and Tink found me. It, it would have been better served had the narration said, you know, I got separated from yeah. my mother and I chose not to return because I didn't want to grow up. Exactly. Right? That's it. Well said. All right, you know? that and then I didn't get the crocodile scene at the end with Hook's death. So yeah, so here here's I have this written down along with another thing you might not agree with me on. I felt like there were two plot points in this movie that were forced into the movie only because they were big parts of the the books and the and the cartoons from way back when. So it was the crocodile, which obviously is a big part of Captain Hook. That's how he loses his hand. He's it, it gets him terrified of clocks. That's the it's the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. So they kind of forced it in there with he killed the croc and it put up there, and that's how he had to die. It had to be the croc finishing him off. It's forced in there. Okay. That's what that was. Okay. I have My, a counterpoint I'll, on that, if you if you will. I had the same thought. Why did this croc fall on him and he disappears? You actually hear the croc burp like it ate him and i'm like this is the thing's been stuffed and dead for who, who knows how long hundreds of years and then i kind of started thinking well the whole point of neverland is using your imagination so if you could imagine it happening it could happen and that's i actually convinced myself in that thought process that it was okay all right i, I kind of like right. that 
I can buy into that a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah, I mean, not entirely, but forced. I see where you're going. It's it's like a forced <laughs> acceptance. And then my other issue was Tinkerbell's character. I like Tinkerbell. Okay. Now I'm gonna explain to you why what what role does Tinkerbell serve besides getting them to and from Neverland? I mean that 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 in itself is enough. That is it though? Because why get Julia Roberts? Because in this movie, Tinkerbell's only purpose is to get them to and from Neverland. She ne- she also neg- she Does- she negotiates the three days for training with Hook. Okay. He talked well, the Lost fair. Boys into accepting him as Peter Pan. Okay, so maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> maybe a little. <laughs> I just I just I just felt like the, underutilized the whole, the whole... Julia Roberts. That's a fair argument. Yeah, I mean, I'm saying that, and I'm saying that whole love scene. Like it's, it's like also out well, of we, place. We have yes. Tinkerbell here, so we and it's Julia Roberts, so we gotta have some other big scene. So let's do this. You know, I like... agree with that. And uh, I want to make one last point. Anybody else? Feel free to add on. Bob Hoskins, he's like the janitor sweeping up the beer bottles at the end. So that's mm-hmm. like convoluting. Is this a dream? Is it not a dream? But then Tink's there. So it's not a dream. But so why is Bob Hoskins the janitor when he was Smee, but now he's home. not Smee? So like there's a fair amount of I don't ever want to say Steven Spielberg is, you know, in over his head or, or you know, not doing the best job possible. But I feel like in a couple of points in this movie, he's almost not his best work. It's not really. It's like he not had another jelly. idea that he never. So finished. he's. I don't. I, I'm sorry, Eric. I want to say one last thing. I read because I wanted to understand why there were so many negative reviews about this movie, and Spielberg himself says that the first act he felt like he had a firm grasp on, and he said everything else after that. Between the script and the ideas in his head, he wasn't really able to put it on screen the way that he wanted to. I mean, that's 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 fair, but you know, after all that being said, I want to now move into unless you guys have other points why I love I'll this add movie. to your thought though, because I wrote that down too. Why was Smee in the real world? Uh, there's a lot of other things in this movie. Uh, if you, one of my notes is on the airplane, the beginning of the movie, the air pilot. The yeah, pilot that's Captain. He's Captain Hook. So you hear Captain Hook over the radio in real world. Then you have Smee in the real world. And then there's also the line that Hook gives Pan, I think, when they're fighting. And he says, you know, you're not really Peter Pan. You're just going to wake up an angry self, whatever. So there's like two, three, or if not four times in the movie, they allude to it being a dream. But they definitely don't make you think it's a dream. It's real. It happened because, you, like you said, the kids remember being there, Tink's there. So I feel like there was something else supposed to happen and they kind of dropped it. No. All right. Aside from that, now we can fanboy, right? Yes, because Absolutely. everything else in this movie is amazing. And I can look past that no, one easily. inconsistency of it, is it a dream or not? Because I don't care because it's it doesn't not a really, dream. It really happened. Right. It, oh, it does matter. If it did happen. And I'm so happy it did. Yeah, but even then, like all this stuff that you could say, this is a problem in the movie, you know, 
as far as like a film goes, you could say that. But then you could also say, who gives a shit? Because the rest of the movie is amazing anyway. So all I want to do is quote it and watch it. Because the, the whole feel, once. So, so first of all, what an amazing job they did making Peter Panning the biggest dick on the planet. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> like you could feel like, okay, yeah, he wants to be a good guy, but he's not. Yes. He only cares about work. He doesn't care about his family. Yes. And Robin Williams portrays that perfectly. The son, the son is a fantastic Charlie actor. Corsmo. Charlie Corsmo, so good at making you you're feel afraid you're like, going to get sucked out. <laughs> just wanting, why can't you just show up to his damn baseball game? Why? Can't. Why Peter Panning? Can't. The exact opposite of Peter Pan in the real world. Like as an adult, right. he's afraid to fly. He's afraid of everything. He he doesn't care about his kids, which is supposedly the reason he grew up to have kids. So yes. I, they did a great job of just having him be the opposite. Well, let's go really out of order. I So as the movie was going on, I was writing down the quotable lines, and I think that'll bring us into some conversations. That's all I did, too. <laughs> all right, so let's start in the beginning. When he's uh, getting ready to go on his flight to England, he's lead it, leaving his uh, the law office or whatever. He's getting on the elevator. He's like, well, if it's your time to go, it's your time to go. Or if it's the pilot's time to go. Well... Gotta fly. Don't worry, more people crashing cars than on flight. Mm -hmm. So I'll take a flight across the street. Yeah, don't look down. It's your time to go. It's your time to go. And remember, don't, don't let, let your arms get tired. And what if it's the pilot's time to go? Oh, oh. no. <laughs> That's me every time I get on an airplane, by the way. Don't let your arms get tired. Yeah, That's that fine. terrible joke. Terrible. It was awful. Yeah. What about when he, he's on the airplane with, with Jack and he's throwing the baseball against the window? He's like, will you stop that? He's like, what are you worried about? It's double pain. You can't break it. Why didn't I have a parachute, Jackie? Take a wild guess. Jackie. Jack. Will you stop that? You can break a window. They're double-layered. You can't break them. You're afraid you're going to get sucked out. I'm not afraid of being sucked out. Yes, you are. You're afraid you're going to be sucked out. Just stop. Jack, next season I'm coming to six games. I promise. Be sure to buy enough videotape. Hey. Jack. My word is my bond. Yeah, junk bond. <laughs> When are you going to stop acting like a child? I am a child. Grow up. When are you going to stop acting like a child? I am a child. <laughs> That's the greatest comeback but ever. He also laughs at his face as he's saying it. was so yeah. good. I, I really enjoy when they get to the house and Peter Pan's like, Re remember, you're in London, the land of good matters. Yeah. Toodles. It's snowing. And he slams, slams the door, the door right in his face. face. <laughs> remember, dears. First impressions are the most important. Shoes tied, shirt tucked. Remember, you're in England, land of good manners. Uncle Toodles. It's snowing! <laughs> and then oh, I love walking into the uh, to uh, Granny Wendy's house. That house feels... That, that house, not only her, we'll get to her because I know you guys, the two of you will have a lot to say. Yes. The feel of her house feels like walking into our grandma, grandpa's house. Like, just like 
the knickknacks around, you know, like a lot of furniture, a lot of, it just, yeah, it feels like home. It feels like being in a grandma's house. Even his wife, when they walk in the door, all of a sudden she's instantly excited and all jazzed up. Happy. What's got into you? And she's like, it's this house. I I just, the memories, we grew up here. And and that's the same feeling you get. You grew up in this house. I never really noticed that until I watched that, until I watched it this time, that, that part right there. And Maggie Smith, Dame Maggie Smith, Maybe. she is knighted, <laughs> is just a gem to behold in this movie. Um, she feels like the grandmother of all grandmothers. Mind yes. you, she's only like 68 years old. In this yeah, movie. They had, how about this? How about this? She's yeah. 51 in this movie. Oh, 51? And playing an 83-year-old. Oh, okay. So yeah. and you that could, makeup is I, amazing. So speaking of the makeup, I never knew that until I had to read the facts about this movie. I had no idea that that was prosthetics. I yeah. knew it was prosthetics because after Harry Potter came out and I realized, wait, that's He's the still same old? woman. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, <laughs> how did they make her look so old? Because she's not that old in you know, Harry Potter. <laughs> the makeup was flawless. Yeah. Yeah, for those who don't and, know, Maggie Smith is Professor uh, Minerva McGonagall in Harry Potter. The delivery of every line, like she, ha- she has this whimsical feel. Like she, she, she's a, a child. She, all right, so she's a middle-aged woman playing an old lady with a childhood, like, like a childish, like, like glow and feel to Enthusiasm. her Enthusiasm. Yeah, it was yeah. just. It's such. I don't know her role. I'm gonna spoil alert. Like outside, because obviously Robin Williams is the best role, and I can't pick him as my best because he's obviously the best. She's my best role in this whole movie. Okay, yeah, she deserves it. So when I picked up on this viewing as well, Moira talking to, to, to Peter, she's about the children. I I've noticed this before, but I never really got the impact of the line. I'm sorry about your deal. You hated the deal. I hated the deal, but I'm sorry. You feel so badly about it. Your children love you. They want to play with you. How long do you think that lasts? Soon Jack may not even want you to come to his games. We have a few special years with our children when they're the ones that want us around. After that, you're going to be running after them for a bit of attention. So fast, Peter. It's a few years and it's over. And you are not being careful. And you are missing it. I don't know. That hit home for me being, uh, you know, my cams 15 chases yeah. eight. Yeah. So there were a couple says, of sappy um, lines in the, in, in, the, in the movie that were great that I didn't pick up as a child too. like before that, when they first walk in the house and Maggie Smith says to them, there's only one rule I have over my house, no growing up, stop this very instant. And like, it's kind of like, it's like, Oh yeah, it's an, Oh, it's a, it's an homage to Peter Pan because it's a Peter Pan movie, but it's also like, no, because that's what every parent wants. It's what every grandparents want. Yes. They want their children, their grandchildren to stay the age they are forever. And I sidebar on that line there because I have this thing that almost bothers me a little bit. So in this movie, we obviously know that Robin Williams, Peter Banning, doesn't know he was Peter Pan in his past life or, you know, as a, as a child. But it also seems that every other character in this movie does know. You know, obviously, Wendy Granny knows. She keeps saying, you know, never grow up, Peter. Don't you know who you are? But even when they walk into the house, um, the, their daughter, Maggie, says, Is Granny Wendy the really real Wendy from my play? And Peter Pan said, or Ron Williams says, No, 
But his wife says, yes. So there's no. all these allusions to everyone kind of knowing that that's the real family. But they fixed that. Peter. No, 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 no. They fixed that because Matt, because uh, later on, Wendy starts speaking about her next door neighbor, who I can't remember the name of the guy who wrote the, the P- Peter Pan books. He was their next door neighbor and he used, and she tells the, the she tells the granddaughter he used my mine and my brother's games and stories we used to tell mm-hmm. as his his books for peter pan so mm-hmm. she is wendy like yeah. she actually is so like that part is taken care she of. she is wendy but wendy's also a fictitious character right right to everyone else she's fictitious but to her she's real because she's the only one that knows that when that all those adventures were real adventures. Okay, the stories came from her right okay well all right that helps what about the introdu- introduction to Tink? And <laughs> one of my favorite lines is the firefly from hell. Yes. yes. I have that quote in one of my best quotes. And then we also get, I do not believe in fairies. Are you in there, little bug? I'm not a bug. I'm a fairy. I do not believe in fairies. Every time someone says, I do not believe in fairies, somewhere there's a fairy that falls down dead. I do not believe in fairies. You skipped. Hold on. You skipped over the whole scene when they come back from the from the uh, the the hospital dedication. Yeah. And the house is all a mess, and it, it it's so perfectly well done, like a horror movie for a child, right? Like it's it's not scary, but it's scary. And you just have Toodles just losing his mind. You have the well, actually, you have the lady screaming in the hallways. Yeah. And you just the have children to, were screaming. Yes. Have to fly, have to fight, have to crow, have to save Maggie, have to save Jack. Hookie's back. And I just, that line, I that's what grips me in and I'm yeah. just ready for the adventure. This is why I just want to, I don't want to lead this conversation. I just want to be a part of it because I, I need... I need to know that other people feel the way about, especially you guys. I don't care about anybody else (laughs) that you guys feel the way about this movie that I do, because uh, you know, what hurts me a confession is that my whole family, Chase, Elena, Cam don't really like this movie. And I'm like, the only movie that I need you to love, I guess, aside from Jaws and Jurassic Park, is this movie. I need yeah. you to love this movie. And they don't. And I'm like, so is it a disconnect? Elena's problem is how many times I've watched this movie. Well, Which, was, that That's a reasonable the, protest. But aside from that. It's the same issue with me and my wife. She said the exact same thing. I said to her the other night, I'm like, which movie you want to watch me this week? You want to watch Hook or Father of the Bride? And she said, well, you played the crap out of Hook, so I'm not watching that again. I wanted to watch Hook again last night. My wife's like, no, I don't want to watch it again. I'm like, come on. I want to, I want to refresh. <laughs> I don't get the same complaint about Jaws. I get the same complaint about Jurassic Park, though. So Yeah, because I, I get it, though, because this is a kid's movie. And, like, we Grow are up. so... Yeah. You're 40 so years old. Stop watching now. Hook. <laughs> no, I actually like it almost a little better as an adult because I had one problem with this movie as a kid. At the very end, Peter has to leave Neverland and go back to his real life. And as a kid, you don't understand that. You're like, no, no, no. You're found Neverland again. You're staying. Yeah, stay, you're going to party. Stay. You're have a good time. But as adults, you kind of go, oh, I have kids. I'd have to go back too. I'd want to go back. Yeah, but as a kid, you don't understand that. So it almost ruined the movie for me at the end because I didn't understand why he had to leave. And now as an adult, it made sense. And actually, it actually made the ending easier for me to watch. And now Eric has put on his big boy pants. Yes. <laughs> You can't see. I'm not wearing pants. 
I one another quote I'd missed every time I watched this movie. Uh, when the inspector's at the house and he's like, you know, trying to figure out what's going on, and Toodles just walks up to him and he's like, I've forgotten how to fly. And the inspector's like, well, just one like, would. well, well, one would, <laughs> or one does, or whatever. One does, yeah, yeah. yeah, Phil Collins. Did yeah, you know that, Chris? Collins. I did. Like, I knew it before, but then you just forgot me. and you re remember. Well, the lab boys can analyze this little lot. So, Mr. and Mrs. Banning, we've uh, wired the phones, and two of my lads will be outside at all times. Of course, you know, it is entirely possible that this whole thing is some kind of ridiculous prank. My children are missing. Yes, but the literary history of the family and everything suggests. Well, let's hope so. I've so... forgotten how to fly. Yeah, well. One does. Good night, man. Good night, sir. All right, so then we get to finally Neverland. We get the introduction to Captain Hook and Smee. Good morning, Neverland! Good morning, Mr. Smee! Tie down the main mast, mateys! Because here he is! The cunning kingfish, the very barracuda, a man so deep, he's almost unfathomable. A man so quick, he's even fast asleep. Thank you. Now let's give him a very big hand, because he's only got one. I give you the steel-handed stingray, Captain James Howe. And then we get the boo box. Hook, hook. Where's the hook? Hook, hook. Give me the hook. Some hook, of the hook. best <laughs> talking. What do you call it? The best um, back and forth in this whole movie. Dialogue. The best dialogue in this movie is, is between Smee and Hook. Everything they say is just enjoyable, funny, witty. It's it's the best. I love the boo box. Do you know that's Glenn Close that they yes. put in the boo box? Yes. That- it's crazy how many cameos are in this movie. Oh, we we, we, get, we went past like the Steven Spielberg and his wife, right? The, not Spielberg. Oh, no, it's it's George, um, Lucas. George Lucas. George Lucas. No, that's and his at the wife, very, very end. That's at the end. That's the last Is that the end? Movie. No, it's the beginning when, when they're first flying to Neverland and they accidentally drop the pixie dust and the husband and wife come off the bridge, the London Bridge. So that was at the oh, end. No, that's, that's when, when she's dragging. That's tools. when Tink. No, it's when Tink is carrying, uh, Peter. Peter in, in, the, in the blanket. blanket? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Either way, um. I, <laughs> that's a good cameo. So we're doing this out of order, right? Because now we're at the scene where he's walking the plank. Because when he walks the plank, after that is the worst scene of the movie. The mermaids. The make out with the mermaids. Yeah. It, yeah. Out of place. Doesn't work. Well, it's actually one of two worst scenes in the movies because the other one's when Tink wants to be in love with Peter. But uh, the mermaids are just not a good fit for this movie. <laughs> also, a little bit of boobs and you know seashell boobs and 11 year old you could do it out so me as 11 year old really enjoyed that scene actually i guess you would but i don't i uh, 40 year old me doesn't need 11 year old me seeing mermaid boobs. you mean you don't want your little kids seeing mermaid boobs (laughs) i guess i don't know i don't know where i'm going with this but it doesn't fit so whatever then we get now we meet rufio hold on no because we kind of skipped past his interactions with hook at first right because Hook has some great lines there, and he's like, "Is it you, my great and worthy opponent?" But oh, it can't we're... be. Not this pitiful, spineless, pasty, bloated codfish I see before me. You're not even a shadow of Peter Pan. 
just it just gets better as it goes though man so it's like now you go from you go from hook and now you got the lost boys and rufio rufio and coming and hold on eight-year-old me lost his shit when peter you pan can't... gets to the lost boys like what would you call that they're they're down <laughs> yeah, yeah but you can't you, you can't get any better any better than rufio's introduction the way he comes in is flying in on a a, a, a windsurfing skateboard. <laughs> yeah, on, on a railroad track, I guess. And everyone's somehow. just chanting his name. And then Peter is like, oh, that is so dangerous. <laughs> an insurance nightmare. Where are the adults? I want to talk to an adult. All the adults are pirates. We kill pirates. I happen to be a lawyer. And they're like, kill, kill the lawyer. lawyer. I'm not that like, kind of lawyer. I'm not that kind of lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Who's in charge here? No. No, Mr. Skunkhead with too much moose. You are just a punk kid. I want to speak to a grown-up. All grown-ups are pirates. Excuse me? We kill pirates. I'm not a pirate. So happens, I am a lawyer. Kill the lawyer! Kill the lawyer! I'm not that kind of lawyer. And then the whole time, Tink's trying to talk the Lost Boys into believing he is the real Pan. None of the kids believe him. Then you get the and, little boy. Uh, the, 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 the little boy. Who's that? Tooth? He's like, What's the kid's name? Yeah, I don't know his Pockets. name. Pockets. Pockets. Thank you. And he he's grabs like, his face oh, and starts Peter, mushing it around. There you are. Then you're at the, the dinner scene or the pretending to have dinner scene. And the yes, because now the Lost Boys have to train him to think and become Pan. The exchange of insults between Peter and Rufio, none of them make sense. And they're all amazing. What's the deal? Where's the real food? If you can't imagine yourself being Peter Pan, you won't be Peter Pan, so eat up. Eat what? There's nothing here. Gandhi ate more than this. Don't you remember this used to be your favorite game? Get the games. I want some real food. I want steak. I want eggs. I want a cup of coffee. You can't. Eat your heart out, you prinkled, wrinkled, fat fat. You're a very ill-mannered young man. You're you know a that? slug and worm. Come on, you can do better than that. Can't believe you're encouraging this. Yes, yes, show me your fastball dust brain, you paunchy sag bottom puke pot. You are a very poor role model for these kids. Do you know that? I bet you don't even have a fourth grade reading level. Immortal suck navel. Well, maybe a fifth grade reading level. <laughs> Boil dripping, beef fart sniffing, bubble butt. Someone has a severe caca mouth. Do you know that? You are a fart factory. Slug slime, sack of rat guts and cat vomit. Cheesy scab picked, pimple squeezing, finger bandage. A week old maggot burger with everything on it and flies on the side. <laughs> Substitute chemistry teacher. Come on, Rubio, hit him back. Mung tongue, 
Math tutor? Pinhead. Prison barber. Muddle lover. Nearsighted gynecologist. In your face, camel cake! In your rear, cow derriere. Lying, crying, spying, prying, ultra pig! You lewd, crude, rude, bag of pre-chewed food, dude. Bag of Rufio, if I'm a maggot burger, why don't you just eat me? You two-toned, zebra-headed, slime-coated, pimple-farming, paramecium brain, munching on your own mucus, suffering from Peter Pan envy. What's a paramecium brain? I'll tell you what a paramecium is. That's a paramecium. It's a one-cell critter with no brain that can't fly. Don't mess with me, man. I'm a lawyer. Yeah, the whole idea of the pretending it's a game, like that's the whole point of Neverland, right? Never Neverland. And that that's what that's what led Eric to come to his conclusion about the crocodile. It's it's whatever you can imagine that can happen in Neverland. Okay, I'm on board. Yeah. I just I don't like I was like I was trying to work out the logistics and then I was like, you know what? Screw it. It's just it's the magic of Neverland. So exactly. exactly. And, and you have to own you just have to accept it, and that's that's you know, it's the magic. Okay. Um, what about when we get to back to Captain Hook and Smee and Smee's like, he's devising the plan and he's like, I just had an apostrophe and Hook's like, I think you mean an epiphany. Hook, is that an apostrophe? I think you mean an epiphany. Lightning has just struck my brain. Well, that must hurt. Man's kids. About them. Is Dustin Hoffman's transformation to Captain Hook not one of the best transformations like you've ever seen in a movie? Like that even knowing that it's Dustin Hoffman, like I can't see Dustin Hoffman. It's only his voice that stands through. Like, am I the only one that feels that way? What do you mean not the best transformation? No, it yeah, I don't is, get it, is, I is it not the best transformation? Like, Oh, yeah, it, I didn't understand. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, like, no, yeah. it's phenomenal. I, Your emphasis was on the wrong syllable. Most likely. Um, but he it it wasn't Dustin Hoffman anymore. He completely transformed. Looks nothing like, but that's on purpose. Right. Feels nothing like. It's only he, he I'm not gonna say it's up there in the caliber of a Doc Holiday from Val Kilmer or whatever. It's not, but also it's it's definitely higher. It's it, it's on its own level. It's definitely not Doc Holiday level, but he is only Captain Hook. He's not yeah. Dustin Hoffman. But how about the camera yeah. trickery they use throughout this movie, though? Because Dustin Hoffman's only five foot six. Really? Yeah. And Robin Williams. I think he was wearing really big heels. And, yeah, he was. But also, and Robin Williams is only five foot seven. But he's taller than Dustin Hoffman. But in the whole movie, Captain Hook looks much taller than Peter Pan. I love at the very end. That's what they do with like, all Tom Cruise's movies, too. Yeah. It's all camera angle to make him look taller. Yeah. I love at the very end where he's like, uh, I remember you being much bigger and, and Hook is like, to a 10-year-old, I'm huge. <laughs> but and then from that point forward, though, if you pay attention, now he is smaller. Well, that's Spielberg doing his that's thing. Spielberg, brilliant. Where are we in the quotes? 
I don't know, about quotes, but you're talking back back to Hook and Smee. How about the scene where he's he's getting bored with life and he's gonna kill himself? Yeah, that's and the same scene. And he's got the scene. gun to his head. I love that lines too. He's no like, stopping me this time, Smee. This is it. Don't make a move, Smee. Not a step. My fingers on the trigger. Don't try to stop me, Smee. I'm not again. This is it. Don't try to stop me this time, Smee. Don't try to stop me this time, Smee. Don't you dare try to stop me this time, Smee. Try to stop me. Smee, you better get up off your ass. Get over here, Smee. I'm coming. Stop I'm coming. Me. I'm coming. This is not a joke. I'm committing a suicide. Don't ever frighten me like that again. I'm sorry. Well, I'm some kind of a sadist. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. How's your feel now? Every interaction between those two is, is amazing. What about Smee taking a bite of everything that he puts on Captain Hook's plate? So I'm wondering, it's it's one of two things. Either A, he's testing it for poison, which clearly makes sense, right? Or B, he's just being like, I don't know, selfish, I guess. Like taking a bite of everything that he puts on Hook's plate. No, Smee is what just about Smee? super. Can't forget about Smee. He's super gluttonous. That's why at the end of the movie, he's stealing all the jewelry and everything and all the doubloons. <laughs> we get then... The happy thought right before that, right? So the the um thud butt they call him the chubby kid, yeah. and, and he's like <laughs> thud butt. He's talking about he's talking about toodles. He's like in their happy thoughts or whatever. He lost his marbles. Yeah, yeah, he lost them good. <laughs> it makes me laugh every, every time. time. I, I've seen the movie a hundred times. I laugh every time. These are his marbles. These are his happy thoughts. <laughs> he really did lose his marbles, didn't he? Yeah, he lost them good. <laughs> Peter, you know what? That's the, that kid. Like, I want to be friends with him because you know. I love that. You kid. know, you can't look at him without wanting to hug him and just be happy. <laughs> I love him and Rufio. Kevin talks I, about it all the time, right? There's there's all these movies that like you, there's a movie you sit down and you watch and you pay attention, and then there's other movies that are like have become background background noise because of the number of times you watch it. This is this is the epitome of that for me because this is my movie that I constantly watching, and it has become that movie that's just when I turn it on, I'm kind of hanging out and just catching a scene here catching a scene there and this is the first time i think since i'm 12 years old that i really 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 paid attention and you i caught all those things that you know th those adult side of things like that like you had mentioned about like the wanting to go back home and not stay in neverland and the, and the caring about your kids and the it's like it, it added another layer to the movie that i had never really taken into account before yeah, just don't. I don't want to reiterate what Eric said. So, but I had the same concerns, and I I was afraid that I would find more flaws with this movie. But I only found myself. I found the flaws that I, that were there the whole time, and like they were kind of like, they were in the back of my mind. Like, I you, the scenes that you don't really pay attention to because they kind of don't fit. But I don't care about the movie as a whole. I care about the 90% of the movie that I love, the 10% that doesn't really fit is irrelevant to the plot line and the reason why I love the movie anyway. So it doesn't take away from the movie at all. 
no, that thank you for saying that succinctly. It no, doesn't because the bad scenes they don't they don't take away from the movie, they don't add to the movie, they, they don't they, have anything to do yeah. with it, really. It's it's like they're throwaway scenes, right? Like the mermaids. Okay, if you take them away, the movie doesn't change. Yeah, the the, right. the, tink- the mother and it only lasts scene a second, doesn't it matter. doesn't drag the scene, the doesn't drag scene it to doesn't one ma- second over. No. It doesn't matter. And all the scenes that I love are still the scenes that I love, and you get. The, the the two people that that formed my love of movies, Robin Williams and Steven Spielberg. I don't understand how people could not enjoy watching this movie because even if you want to rip it apart, it's still a fun ride. You just got to enjoy the ride, and it's fun. I, I you could be critical, but you, you, at the same time, you just got to sit back sometimes and yeah. just enjoy a movie. I think because structurally speaking, there are a lot of flaws with this movie, right? There like, are problems. There, there are definitely But who cares? Problems. But right, who who cares? I mean, I could talk about the CGI. I could talk about this, this, like some, there are some set issues too. Like as much as I love the set that they created, I didn't some find set any. issues. There, there are, it's, it's. But, are you talking about like green screen shit no it's not even green scene it's backdrops they're, they're not even green scenes it's, it's yeah backdrops. okay but the point but is look past right it. no but that's my point is those are things that you can look past right like those are things that also when you were eight or 10 you didn't, or 11, you didn't notice that yeah so what, what like i'm just adding- business no 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 i'm on board with you i'm just saying i'm not talking about you i'm saying what business does an adult have criticizing what this movie is to a 10 year old like you don't have any business yeah. there like so exactly and it stands the test of time because here we are you know 30 years later and, and still enjoying I still the hell lo- out of this movie i tried watching it this time tried tried to see if my love for this movie was valid and it is <laughs> so, like i said i think i enjoyed it more this time than i ever had in my life and i loved it i've loved it my whole life it just got better for me all right, so I guess we could wrap this Did up. I just say something? Did we even say Bangarang one time in this no, recording? No, I don't, I, I don't think we said Bangarang. I can't I, believe we didn't say Bangarang. All right, so best scene, I I, did, I couldn't write one down. I have six scenes written in my best scene. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go down them quick, Chris, oh, quick. Four, four. I have coming back to the house uh, with the slashes on the wall after the kids get kidnapped. Okay. Uh, Tinkerbell's arrival was phenomenal okay when he wakes up in neverland with the pirates and she's telling him walk with a limp and, arr, arr, and yeah. drool out of your mouth drool, like yeah. the, the boo box and everything like that uh yeah. and then also the meeting of the lost boys and then like i was just filling out the paper as i was going i was like oh there's no space left because <laughs> i also loved the the final fight scene in this movie the the, the two sword fights hook versus rufio was incredible yeah, and then the yep. choreography with Hook versus Pan was even better, and I was just like, I was like on the <sighs> edge of my seat, like pretending like I got a sword, like I'm five years old again, like just loving this movie. It was right. awesome. Anyway, very excited. Eric, I'm obviously on board with everything. Eric, I'm on board with every scene being a good scene, but uh, you have to pick some. Um, I like the insult scene at the dinner where they're going back and forth. Um, and when Peter finally kind of wins the insult battle, he, he flings the, the fake food, which becomes real food. And, and then he stands up on the, um, you know, on the table, he screams bangerang and then Rufio throws the coconut at him. And when the kid throws him the sword, he cuts it in half and he just kind of, all of a sudden everything just stops. And he just kind of shocked at himself. 
and you hear in the background the rooster crow yep. and you know and that's one of his stages to becoming peter pan and he's just because he that's the first time he steps out of himself again and he's just like i don't know who i am and he walks off the table but that is him theoretically or metaphorically crowing uh yeah. best role i went robin williams chris i i have robin williams as my best role but i also wanted to give props to maggie uh to maggie smith so Maggie? Why I gave him Maggie. Oh, well, you... God, I'm con... Granny Wendy. Yeah, you you mean who's Maggie Smith? Maggie. Maggie Smith. Maggie's no. the... Maggie's. Oh no, no I was talking about Maggie the Smith. actress. Oh, Maggie Smith. You're right. Granny you're right. Wendy, played by Maggie Smith. It's it's, it's a bit confusing for me because Maggie is Banning it? is yeah. the daughter. Yeah. So sorry, you're right, Eric. Well, my uh, best role I gave to Dustin Hoffman. Because like Chris said, I, I really, you know, listen, Robin Williams, come on. I mean, I'm trying to think outside the box here. Um, Dustin Hoffman just embodied Captain Hook. And like you said, you look at him like three times and you have to kind of see who is that. Acting. You got to look it, deep to yeah. see Dustin Hoffman. Yep. And I thought his whole, the way he portrayed Hook, the just the, the his accent, his just kind of his sly way of talking. His, you know, I thought he did a great job. Worst role, I refuse to give one. I said... Think. Sorry, I just thought I I I would have loved this movie if there was. I can no, see the argument for like it, just because it just I, I and I like you said before like you kind of like answered my own thoughts like you put my own thoughts together for me like you have Julia Roberts possibly do more no you have Julia Roberts the single best actress of the nineties like yeah do better do better do, do yeah do do better for Julia Roberts yeah. Eric, she actually was nominated for a Razzie for this movie. Yeah, um, she was she was also considered a problem. I read but. she they actually nicknamed her Tinker Hell on set because yeah. she was such a pain in the ass. To yeah, deal but with. also because she it seemed that she was isolated and did a lot of green green yes, screen work. Yeah. So, yeah. but anyway, my my worst role I gave to Jack the kid because out of your mind. Sit listen down, here, sir. listen to why, listen to why. Listen, I had to pick somebody. He's who I picked. How about that? He turns on his family in one day. <laughs> No, but it's not turning on his family for one day. That's not what he happened. He forgets his dad. He becomes, the, he becomes Hook's no, right-hand man. But the whole movie, his father is ignoring him, creating this monster. And the I monster, it. it's no, not I his understand. fault. Come you on, don't man. turn against the family. You yeah, ever watch The Godfather? You never <laughs> turn against the, the family. But the father turned on him, don't you see? What about his sister? What about his mother? He turned on the whole family, not just his father. That's just my argument. Listen. Listen, did we do worst scene? This is there a worst scene? That's it. Yeah, this is a worst scene. Yeah, I did. No, no, I did. I did mine before. I did. uh, So did I. Eric, go ahead. My worst scene is um, when they come home from the the thing, you know, from the banquet and the Liza screaming, the kids are screaming. I just, I like for some that. reason, that, that scene stands out to me. I don't like it. No, I like the whole set. I like the hook marks down the wall. I like that whole scene. You it's don't that like very, her screaming? One line. Yes, that one second of her well, leaning against the wall. If just, you, the kids are screaming. Do something about it. The kids are screaming the hallway. The fact that you didn't say Tinkerbell growing into a life-size person and loving Peter, you didn't say that as the worst scene. That means you don't know what you're yeah. talking about. But now that Kevin, now, now that I'm thinking about it, Kevin, you just made a good point. So she, it was, she was Tinker Hell because of all the green screen work. Did they give her that scene just so she could not be on a green screen? 
just for I one guess. scene. That's like, possible. You know, like, okay, it's Julia Roberts. We got to give her something. So let's just do this. So this way she's not acting by herself. It's possible. I guess. I'll have I to call know. Spielberg and ask. I got him on Spielberg. I don't know. The, the 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 best thing that I read uh, from doing research on this movie for this podcast is that Robin Williams and Steven Spielberg became real life great friends after filming this movie because of filming this movie. Awesome. Yeah, that right there warms my soul. So <laughs> how about the fact going deeper than that? When Robin Williams died, Spielberg, um, he, you know, he, once again, he didn't like this movie. He wasn't too thrilled with the way it came out. But after Robin Williams died, he went back to his house to watch this movie. And he said he couldn't finish it because he was crying so much during the movie that he couldn't finish it. Oh, and then yeah. at that point, he said, now I'm really, really glad I made this movie with Robin Williams. Well, this is the embodiment of my childhood. You guys? <laughs> Obviously. I totally agree, man. This movie, I never wanted to grow up when I was a kid. And, and going into Neverland, I think for anyone that knows the story, it's, it's a dream. I think the moral it's, of the story here is if you're going to watch this movie, you can't grow up. All right. Never so grow a, up. a couple things. Number one, this episode was Bangarang. Bangarang, Rupio. Number two, we completed 1991. This is December. Oh, boy. So next up is our recap. And spoiler alert, we all think Hook should have won the Academy Award for Best Picture. <laughs> it didn't. I thought it did. <laughs> That's it. Do so, I have, anybody have any closing thoughts? My closing thoughts are this year was much better than last year, but. Oh, God. <laughs> we still have. I, this is. This is. Hold on. Think about the months we had. We had two months this year because I've been editing. We had two months this year that were like, all of these movies are trash. Last last year, Chris, we had maybe eight, nine months where made, all of the movies were like, I've never heard of this We had before. like two months where there were good movies. I remember the tree, the tree ceremony movie. The tree. Yeah, but that made for, I remember listening to that episode. That made for good podcasting, though. <laughs> It was a funny episode to listen to. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I, I already forgot the name of that movie. I have no idea what it is. But know. anyway, we're, we're, we're leaps and bounds away from 90. 91 was great. And I'm hoping 92 is, is, is as good as 91 was because there were a lot of great movies. Hook Aside, which is top 10 of my all-time movies, you know, I, I I had a lot of fun doing these movies this year. Yeah, it's it's getting better. Let's just hope there's always some good months. Because as yeah. and as we get closer to the end of the '90s, there's at least one decent movie every month. I think every single month, right? So uh, we have that to look forward to. Well, all right. So next episode, then we get to do our recap. We got to look up and remember how we do our recap because I don't remember the format we set. <laughs> Yeah, well, we'll listen to it, I guess, and see what we did last time. And uh, we'll recap, and then we'll take a little hiatus, and then we'll uh, be back for 92. Well, I got to say, uh, it was really, I'm really glad I'm part of this now. I love talking movies with you guys, and it, it makes my night. And it, it just, I'm just so glad to be here. Same here. I'm happy that you're here, bro. I'm having a good time. This was a good time. Thank Maybe you guys. Maybe next year we'll be in the same room. All right, guys. I love you. Thank you for doing hook with me. Aside from the um, the podcast, had fun. I'm happy to do it with you. It was a blast. Good night, guys. And if you great. haven't seen Hook, go watch Hook just right now. Right, I'm gonna. I, I'm starting a campaign. Hook for best movie ever. <laughs>
I'll sign that petition. It won the Academy Award for best movie ever. <laughs> it, all, made. it also made the most money ever, ever. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Later, guys. All right. I'm actually ending all of this. So you guys good? Yep. See you next time. Bye. All right. Goodbye. You can check us out on Facebook at Be Kind, Please Rewind, a 90s movie podcast. Instagram at Be Kind, Please Rewind, 90s movies. Or Twitter at Be Kind, Please Rewind, 90s. For more 90s movies, facts, trivia, and discussions. Thank you for listening to Be Kind, Please Rewind, a 90s movie podcast.